Your attention, please. Your attention, please. Katie, this is the universe. And today, I'll be recording your every thought and emotion, no matter how good or bad, how, no matter how generous or stingy, and no matter how loving or otherwise they may be. And everything I record will be played back for you as soon as possible as some type of physical manifestation in time and space. Thank you. That is all. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Katie Delbau and you are listening to Let It Out, hosted by me. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you so much to everyone who listened to the last episode, 16 Things I Tried in 2016. You guys had the nicest feedback for that, and that was lovely. Thank you so much. I'm so excited for the new year. I'm so excited for all of the guests that will be on the show coming up, especially today's guest, Mike Dooley. I recorded this just a couple days ago, right before the new year, I think, and he is someone that I've really admired for a long time. His work has been really meaningful to me. Maybe you subscribe to his Notes from the Universe, maybe you've read a couple of his books, but he actually reached out to me to speak at one of his events earlier this year after he found my book through Hay House, since we have the same publisher, and it was such a beautiful moment because he's a mentor of mine and it was so great to connect with him and I had to ask him to be on the podcast and here's the episode. It's a long one. I feel like I really got to hit all the Mike Dooley notes, all the things that he talks about that really resonate with me. I was like putting pennies into the jukebox of Mike Dooley and it was lovely to get to hear him talk about them and share that with you. So I'm really excited to get into today's episode. I hope you guys had a great holiday season, and I have some really good news. We have a sponsor for today's podcast. You know them, you love them, or maybe you don't. They're FreshBooks. Today's podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks, and it's a new year, so a perfect time to get ahead of the game on your finances and just kind of get things in order, you know? Maybe you have a side job, maybe you do the occasional freelance work, maybe you're running a business and you've been doing that for years, or maybe you just want to get organized with your personal finances, whatever the case may be, we can all usually brush up a little bit on our routines and practices when it comes to finance. I know that's the case for me. So that's why I love FreshBooks and I'm so stoked to have them as a sponsor. Another reason I love them, side note, you can personalize the colors on FreshBooks. That's always fun. Also, it makes invoicing clients so easy and you can get paid faster. You can have, it has tons of features like business bookkeeping, keep everything organized. You can connect right to your bank account and your credit card automatically. You can import all of your expenses so everything's in one place. You can run income and expense reports super easily. So you can just hand that off to your accountant at the end of the year and your accountant's going to thank you as well, you know, they might even hug you at this point. And, you know, here's another really cool feature. You can 
take photos of your receipts right on your phone and then upload them so then that way you don't have to keep boxes of receipts, you don't have to keep the paper, you can just take screenshots whenever you buy something, and it keeps everything organized and simple and as clean as possible, which I always appreciate, and FreshBooks is just basically a lifesaver. So I love how easy it is, finances can really stress me out, and FreshBooks really helps to make it better and make it easier, which I love. So if you haven't already, start off the new year smart financially, making good practices. This is a great New Year's resolution, if you will. And you can get a 30-day unrestricted trial free by going to freshbooks.com slash let it out and entering the code let it out in the how did you hear about us section. That just lets them know that we sent you, I sent you, so freshbooks.com slash let it out, and make sure you enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section. And thank you so much to FreshBooks for sponsoring. That is so cool of them. And thank you to Mike Dooley for doing the show. And thank you for listening. If you want to support the show in another way, you can always leave a review, tell a friend, share it. And I will talk to you guys at the end of the episode. Enjoy Mike Dooley. Well, thank you so much for, for doing the podcast. Like I said to you over email and chatting a little bit before, I've been a fan of yours and Notes from the Universe and your books for for years, and you've been so influ- influential to me. So it's an honor to be talking to you. It's, I'm, I'm so excited to have this conversation. So thank you for being here, Mike. Well, I'm honored, Katie. Thanks for having me. So for people who might not be familiar with your work or as familiar as I am, Let's give like a top line of how you got into this work and how you became this New York Times bestselling author that you are today. And I know I read that you were a very curious child and then became this competitive tennis player and and your mom gave you a book on mindset, which I think kind of set you on this path. So could you kind of walk us through it? Yeah, I pretty much, and this is not that unique, uh, have just always wanted to have a rocking life. I mean, that was like blazingly important. And I always had uh, a sense that that it could happen if I make it happen. So early on, mom was kind of sending me books that uh, that were about positive thinking, uh, the inner game of tennis, psycho-cybernetics, which was, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, before my time, was a huge bestseller. And, and that combined with my own wonderings about how life worked um, led to my own kind of breakthroughs, my own epiphanies, my own discoveries uh, vis-a-vis journaling, incidentally, that were confirmed by other classic works like, you know, the Seth material, Ramph, Richard Bach, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. And um, so I started pretty much applying this as soon as I got out of university in my accounting profession. I was a CPA. And then beyond that, as an entrepreneur selling t-shirts. And to this very day, I'm all about applying these eternal truths that I've discovered so that I can have a selfishly rocking life, which incidentally, I also teach is the number one way to be of service to humanity. Um, Not to be selfless, but to follow your bliss, your passions, to, to scale the mountains you want to scale and slay the dragons that are your fears. And um, in the process of living a rocking life, I have oh so unexpectedly become a teacher of, you know, all that I practice, you know, which in as few words as possible, new thought or metaphysical um, 
teachings, uh, you know, <clears throat> and presto, Bob's your uncle for 15, 16 years now. I've been writing notes from the universe, have probably 12 books, DVDs, audio programs, video courses, world tours, and uh, the life of my wildest dreams. Mm. What a beautiful fairy tale, magical story. I love all of that so much. And like I said, it's been and super inspiring and helpful to me. And, and I've, as you know, you've noted, I've used your teachings and had a lot of success with them in my own life and, and hopefully more and more and more. And I, I wrote down a couple of things I wanted to pick up on in your story. So I know that you mentioned offhand the Seth material which um, I would love for us to kind of define for people. I didn't know about the Seth material except through you and, and Abraham Hicks. And so your mom always being curious about this sort of thing. How did she find the Seth material? And can you talk to us about the Seth material? And, and it seems like back yeah. then it wasn't, it was so new. And there, like now, you know, there's you and there's Abraham Hicks and there's Hay House and there's so many people talking about this sort of thing. But Back then, was it really even more niche? Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's pretty uh, perceptive of you. Um, people probably, for the most part, don't know because they're younger than me who are into this stuff, like yourself. Or we forget so quickly, you know, what it was like back in the day. Um, I'll, I'll explain the Seth material. But back then, if you wanted a Seth book, you'd have to go to the occult section of your local bookstore, whether it was Barnes and Noble or back then we had little bookstores on every corner in the day and they would always have a cult, you know, as opposed to mystery, romance, um, historical, there was a cult. In other words, the kind of books that I even write now, um, like the books that I used to read then, they were put in with books on witchcraft and, you know, all kinds of other heathen-like things so oh, wow. man oh man things have changed even louise hayes books were back in the occult section um this is before there was a um, self-help genre of self-improvement uh, so to speak uh, certainly not an established genre of self-improvement or self-knowledge um but my mom was open i was the more you know devious one like totally ready to consider off-the-wall ideas because since I was looking for answers, even back in my teenage years, like, you know, who are we? How did we get here? Why the hell are we here? And everyone dies. Are you kidding me? Without exception, everyone goes to dust. You know, it's like, what's the point of it all? And our lives are so phenomenally brief. Even if you live to be 500, it's not even showing up on a timeline that runs to infinity. It's, if you live to 5 million, that's nothing compared to infinity. It's like, what gives? And I would draw my own conclusions like, you know, time and space must be illusionary. God must be everything, everyone, no division, no separation. There couldn't be anything that's not God. Where would it have come from? Where would it have been made of? It's like nonsensical. And my mom was kind of like, you know, you're not supposed to think like that, you know, because uh, we used to go to church every Sunday and, and more. And um, but she was an avid reader crazy reader. She would read. She was a stay-at-home mom, which is a huge job. But whenever she could, you know, she would go through 20 books a week. And that wow. made possible for her to come across the Seth material. Seth, S-E-T-H, was 
uh, a disembodied entity who had previously lived lives on Earth. When my mom first told me this, I was like, you have lost it. Yeah. Um, I'm worried about you, mom. <laughs> and she said, forget the source of the information. Just read what Seth has to say. And Seth spoke through a woman in trance who went by the name of Jane Roberts, who's long since passed away. And when she was in trance, her husband, Robert Butts, would take longhand dictation of everything Seth said. And ultimately, that turned into, I, I believe, upwards of 20 books, different titles, but all subtitled The Seth Material. And mom was right. Um, I, I read my first Seth book and could hardly believe the profundity um, the depth, the beauty, the power of what Seth was saying. There was no agenda. There was no formation of a new religion. Uh, it was not about sending money or tithes somewhere. Seth just had this message from wherever about, you know, life is beautiful. People are powerful. Your dreams can come true. Everything is based on your focus, your thoughts, your words, your actions. Um, and much of what Seth said, or some of what Seth said, confirmed to my utter shock and dismay my own suspicions and self-drawn conclusions about reality as a teenager. And then, of course, Seth went way beyond what my little brain could have ever deduced and filled in, you know, the gray areas, connected dots I didn't even know existed, all about the nature of reality. And this might sound... Uh, wrong, if you will, Katie. But, you know, I had big questions about reality um, until I came across this material and started to trust my own intuition. And from about my early 20s, virtually all of my answers about who we are, how we got here, what we can do with our time and space, all of my answers, all of my questions about God and purpose and meaning, all of all of those questions that I ever had have been answered. They're easy. They're simple. Not that we can connect every dot, but we can connect sufficient dots to get our groove on, find some traction and live awesome, rocking lives filled with love. And that's the, the point behind all of my books, uh, that, that we can deduce enough, even though it's very little in the scheme of things but enough to have total confidence and clarity about our place in reality and to live the life of our dreams. Mm, that's so lovely. I love all of that. And thanks for breaking down the, the Seth connection a little bit. I, I relate to that a lot because I somehow stumbled upon your work and maybe through you or, or prior to you, Abraham Hicks, and that's a very similar situation mm -hmm. Um, as the Seth material with the channeling and with, you know, how, how Abraham works through Esther Hicks. And, and I, th I think I've mentioned, you know, how Abraham has been so influential in, in my life on this podcast before for people listening. But it's something that, yeah, whenever I explain it to people, I kind of say what your mom said to you of like, just forget about the way that this information is coming yeah. because it's a little bit heady. But when I heard it, it went right in, you know what I mean? Like it, it was, it was just okay. what I knew to be 
true. It like went in with without a filter and it, it helped me so much. And so now, you know, that since there's so much Abraham material on YouTube, I'll type in like anything that's happening in my life, like Abraham Hicks relationship, Abraham Hicks pimple, Abraham Hicks like feeling weird, you know, like, and uh-uh. it would help me so much. And I think it's so great to have teachers in that way that can kind of cement what you intuitively know but hearing it articulated and I think diversifying those teachers and having you as a teacher who puts these things in such a fun simplified um, but very very deep content in this really easily understood way is is just such a great talent you have and I'm so grateful for it and I, I feel very connected to you which leads into kind of the next thing I'm actually most excited of, of all of my copious notes here that I want to uh-huh. ask you but you you mentioned this earlier that you grew up Catholic and I did it as well I went to Catholic school and something that since I've been you know on this path and you know listening to lots of different Hay House things reading lots of Hay House books and listening to Abraham Hicks like I mentioned and reading all of your books and Growing up Catholic, did you, and this is, you know, a question coming obviously through my lens, did you have to unlearn some of that old conditioning and some of the old beliefs you picked up as a kid? And how does organized religion, you know, sort of hold us back from seeing and collaborating with this power of the universe? Does that question make sense? Oh, total sense. Yeah, I had to go through that. We we virtually all have to go through that. And I... I what I've put in my last book uh, is a statement that I think speaks to that. You know, religion needs spirituality. Mm-hmm. Spirituality does not need religion. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, for our faith, yours and mine as Catholics, you know, we were told to put the needs of others before our own. We were told to live selflessly. We were told that, you know, life is a test, uh, that we will be judged and then sentenced accordingly to our behavior. I mean, it was all fear-mongering, scare tactics. I don't know how it ever got so far from the truth. It brings to mind um, a brilliant quote I'm sure everyone listening has read somewhere on the internet and social media as a meme somewhere. You know, Jesus was not Christian. You know, Muhammad was not a Muslim and Buddha was not a Buddhist. It's like, so where do the religions come from? They're man-made, not divinely ordained um, contraptions that were undoubtedly born of good intent, but they got hijacked. Uh, And you must do this and you mustn't do that. And if you're not in agreement, well then you shall burn in hell forever. It's like, no God, would ever do that to his or her children. It's just ludicrous. And, um, and so, yes, we have to unlearn it. But one of the bigger things that I've discovered in my life uh, is that we are all so inclined to succeed. I mean, it is our default settings uh, to be abundant, to be clear, to be healthy, to be confident, uh, to have friends, to be immersed in laughter. That's natural. That's where we came from. We are of, by, and for pure God. We are 
pure God. God is infinitely more than us, but we are pure God. And God doesn't go somewhere to get crushed and beaten down and say, hmm, I wonder what it's like to have a miserable lifetime. No, God came here to see what would happen with an inclination towards our inevitable successes. Inevitable when you consider the, the scheme of things, multiple lifetimes, and our eternal nature. Um, and when you start really getting that, you fall out of the trap of thinking that we're vulnerable, of thinking that, oh, my God, I had a negative thought. Oh, my God, I can't stop worrying about X, Y, Z. Oh, my God, it's going to happen. Oh, my God, what's wrong with me? Oh, my God, I'm at peril because I was raised a Catholic and they told me that money is bad and that I should be selfless. Oh, and all of a sudden we feel so, so timid and so nothing because we weren't fully grounded in what I think is the obvious truth just by dwelling upon it, uh, and that is we came here to blow the lid off of this place, to have a rocking good time. We are tidal waves of energy, love, and joy. Nothing that happens to us um, can make us less in time and space. Everything that happens makes us more. It's like the game is so rigged, Katie. We're going to Everyone wins, 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 wins. It's win, win, win to the seven billionth, to the ten sextillionth power. <laughs> And yet we feel vulnerable and we let ourselves be deluded. And so the point of this, we all have that baggage, but it ain't no thing to shake it. It's it's not like, oh, my God, I don't even know what my invisible limiting beliefs are. And oh, I'm starting to fear again. It's like, ah, when I have something I'm worried about, like a big gig or a talk or in front of many thousands of people for an hour or for a day, sometimes it'll still rattle my cage and I worry, which is not helpful. But I've learned to be like, look, if you wanna worry, worry your little head off, go right on head. But simultaneously, just sit down and pencil out, journal out a few good thoughts. You know, this event went well because I'm a natural born speaker. You know, it takes courage to say that because I never felt like I was a natural born speaker, but now it's easy after all these years. Uh, this event went well because the audience was receptive. This event went well because logistically everything went off without a hitch. And while I can't always stop a runaway train of fear, I can always start a new one simultaneously. And even if those new few thoughts are um, inundated with fear, they were still thought. They'll still come to pass. They will be enough to make the difference. I've found that whenever we do what we can with what we've got from where we are, which usually seems insufficient, if we do it, it's always enough. And so, yeah, I got the baggage from Catholic school, but I don't worry about it. Um, I, I don't think about it. I don't think it's going to I'm not vulnerable to it. And while I might have to auto-correct my thinking from time to time, these upward spirals are far more common and popular than downward spirals. All of us can attest to that. And um, it's no big deal because, I, you know, I'm steeped in good books, in good thoughts. Um, and and uh, I, I'm, I was born to thrive, as is everyone. Cool. Yeah. I find that for me, it's it's definitely getting easier with time. And I think there's yeah. still a part of me that, you know, since I like I've said, I've been steeped in this for, you know, most of my my 20s so far at this point. 
but there's still one side of my brain having to instruct the other side of my brain a little bit where it's like, I want to believe that, you know, the universe is rigged in our favor and all these things. But then there's a brief moment where I'm like, but wait, what if all that stuff that they've told me for years when I was younger was true? And then I have to just be like, wait, no, it's not. You're fine. Like, listen to Mike Dooley. You're good. But I think so many people I know, and I've, I've had conversations with people my age and, you know, and you've talked about this before and, and I wanted to ask you about this anyway, but, you know, why are people so, you use the word God and the universe kind of interchangeably and you already have in this and, and I do as well. And it's become okay for me over time. But, you know, some people are so, some people are cool with it. Some people are so put off by the word God. And so if you could just talk a little bit more about, you know, I think people kind of go in, in two directions, or I'm sure there's many directions, but with the conditioning, you know, with that we kind of had growing up, some people go yeah. the opposite way to being really atheist and, you know, yeah. believing that nothing has meaning. So how do you share the the work that you have in, in this, you know, really inspiring message yeah. with people who are really steeped in, you know, saying, I don't think things have meaning. And I think that everything can be quantified with science. And I, I, you know, define themselves as, as atheists really strongly. How do you communicate with them? Well, I, I know for myself, what's given me the most traction in life is asking big questions, the most confidence, the most success, most everything. And I now, when I speak with um, someone like you just described, <clears throat> I, would, I, I would say, okay, you know, maybe my stuff is hocus pocus, wishy-washy, woo-woo. What's the answer then? Tell, tell me what your place is. Because I believe it is our highest responsibility, each one of us individually, no one's excluded, to ask these big questions. You know, who am I? How did I get here? What can I do with my life? And by asking these questions, we imply that they have answers, and most certainly they do. I mean, even if your answer was, well, God put us here to test us, judge, and sentence us, or even if your answer is, um, we are the random chance byproduct of space dust that collided, and we landed in a warm body of ocean a zillion years ago and sprang consciousness as amoebas and eventually walked out of the ocean and began to stand upright. You know, even there is an answer, okay? So what's your answer is what I would put to people and and does that answer hold water does that make sense and as i kind of go through this dot connecting in a variety of my books i mean the only thing that makes any sense is that there is a phenomenal unbelievable totally loving not in a human sense of the word love but totally loving um mind, if you will, the mind of God, all that is, source, the universe, uh, um, you know, there has to have been, I mean, even scientists say matter is not solid, it's whirling organized energy. Well, who organized it? It didn't just organize itself. And when you ask these hard questions, you will be led to the truth. And there is a truth. It's absolute in all matters concerning our lives in space. Um, and I am totally not one of those people. It really irks me when people say, you know, everyone has their own truth. It's like baloney. There goes all of your power. Everyone has their own way to truth. And every way to truth should be honored. But that doesn't mean there are different truths. The tr 
the truths that combine that make life possible that we all share that we that create the pillars of reality you know are are you can count them on your finger you know we are all of god by god pure god we are all pure everything is god there's one truth it's all good you know what even when we stub our toes or we get cancer in the scheme of things it's going to add to who we are um, our thoughts become things is the third pillar um we're all one is another pillar which is the same as we're all of god mm. basically it boils down to like five things that i can name that are true even if we don't believe in them and anybody asking questions about the nature of reality faced with the unbelievable amount of miracles that are in all of our life that we even exist should be so utterly impossible yet we do and i there's no way we evolved from dust or rocks you know it's never been seen in a laboratory where life springs from a rock and it never will because it's ridiculous consciousness does not come from matter conversely matter does come from consciousness this is thoughts becoming things so i try to get logical with people who want to claim that they're atheists but i sympathize because i really do believe that and and i don't want to insult any atheists if you have any listening to your show because maybe this is not true for all atheists but i think the reason most people are atheists is because they feel like their only alternative is organized religion and if that was my only alternative man i'd be the first atheist mm -hmm. in the i'd be the proudest and happiest atheist but we each have the faculty and the ability to go within and realize that if this life isn't random chance and it just can't be with with the i mean there are according to some scientists 100 million different species on this planet i mean this there are 100 billion stars in the milky way galaxy alone and now they're saying that there may be a billion more galaxies it's like boggles the mind and for anybody to think that's bedrock reality from which consciousness emerge it's just beyond ridiculous which doesn't take into account our own nighttime dreams all the evidence of near-death experiences all of um, the the incredible inventions of humanity I mean and so if they realize that we're not random chance which it which doesn't take much then they all roads point to this phenomenal intelligence some kind of phenomenal intelligence nothing like a god of any religion which because the religions create rules but this phenomenal intelligence uh, is the source of all and, and, and is what we are made of uh, which ex so anyway that's kind of the tact I would take it's not an cool. easy argument but actually I don't find that many naysayers um, I think people kind of when you like when you heard Abraham uh, when I read Seth I mean you instantly recognize truth when you hear it and that's in our DNA I really yeah. believe that you have to really fight and go and resist um, to, to not acknowledge you know some of the things that I've been saying and that you and I both believe in yeah there I I totally agree with what you're saying it, it it feels true like I don't even know how to explain it other than that like it just when I hear you speak or when I hear Abraham I just 
to me it just feels true and that's really all the how i can articulate it so I mentioned this to you before. My friends and I love the notes from the universe, and I want to know how you started writing them. Can you define them for people listening briefly who might not be aware of them and how they can sign up and get them? Sure. Um, They began about 15 years ago at, at really the lowest ebb in my life. And while I got all the answers I was looking for by my early 20s, all of my big questions were answers answered from that point to this day like you were saying you know getting rid of the old gunk and, and it's all of my life has been about living these answers because it's one thing to theoretically know I'm an intergalactic being of love and joy but it's another to to move with that every moment of every day and it does get way easier and my life is pretty flipping amazing right now but but I, 15 years ago, was at a point where I was starting over career-wise. I had no relationship to speak of, had never been married, no kids. Uh, and I had nothing in my life. I was almost 40. I had nothing. And I was like, how did this happen to me? And, and while I could not explain how I had gotten myself into that mess... I could nevertheless still explain the basic nature of reality. Our thoughts become things. Our words give us wings. We're pushed on to greatness every day. I mean, I know that's true. Couldn't explain my mess, but I know that's true. So instead of trying to explain my mess, and I urge audience members and readers to this day, whenever it comes up, you don't have to know how you got where you are to know how to move forward from it. You know, forget it for now. It hurts too much right now. It, it's 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 putting you in a bad mood. It's dampening your enthusiasm for life. Just forget it. If you're in a difficult, trying place right now, or you've been through one, you don't have to study it, examine it, and and you know, pick it apart with pieces. I did this. I thought that. It's like forget it. It's the past. Instead, focus on who you really are. There's so many books. Like like the ones we're talking about, my own or Abraham's and, and, and thousands of others by now um, that talk about this. Immerse yourself in those books. Come to know the truth um, and then start applying it going forward. Have dreams. Visualize. Show up daily with baby steps. Knock on doors. Turn over stones. Ask for help and prepare to be astounded. And then you can look back and say, you know, what was that ruckus all about? So at my low point, because I've had them, in spite of knowing these truths, I had to work through them. Um, I wanted, as I immersed immersed myself in truth with books, etc., I remember thinking, and this was like at the dawn of the Internet, believe it or not, you know, the, the late 1990s. And I remember thinking, oh, this email is really cool. I wish I could get an, an email unpredictably every day. Um, just as the walls are closing in, and I'm feeling small, that, were, that would remind me that life is beautiful and you're powerful and it doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is where you're going and you decide that now and you're an unlimited being of light, Mike. You're living in a world of illusions, Mike. I thought, God, wouldn't it be great to get that? And so I thought, you know, I ought to send those out. And at first they were from Mike <laughs> and they were never as popular as what would soon follow. Eventually I kind of capitulated to this this voice within, if you will. It was like, you know, I could say more from a loftier, more 
more powerful perspective if I wrote as the universe, which seemed, you know, divine intelligence, a.k.a. God, which seemed presumptuous. It seemed arrogant. Like, who the hell does he think he is? So I resisted it. I resisted. And then one Friday, I thought, let me just let me just go with this. And um, in pretty much no time, I wrote. I, I can remember the very first note because it's part of my uh, playing the Matrix workshops. I read it all the time. Your attention, please. Your attention, please. Katie, this is the universe. And today, I'll be recording your every thought and emotion, no matter how good or bad, how no matter how generous or stingy, and no matter how loving or otherwise they may be. And everything I record will be played back for you as soon as possible as some type of physical manifestation in time and space. Thank you. That is all. Mm-hmm. That was the first note from the universe. And it was, it was a Friday, and I really got a chuckle out of it. And I thought, oh, that's not so arrogant. That's not so presumptuous. That's fun. That's lighthearted. That's the universe. And so yeah. every Friday for about a year, I wrote a note from the universe. Monday through Thursday, I wrote as Mike. And I'm pretty dense sometimes. Uh, finally, it was like, look, it's more fun to write as the universe people are digging it more so just forget writing as Mike on your daily emails just write as the universe and so now there's like 3,000 of them written some take hours some are quick Uh, some have taken a day to write a paragraph but I really like waiting for that moment when it's like oh that's good oh I love it and um, Mm. and it's made it possible everything I do professionally now and so much personally as well. Oh, that's such a great story. Thank you for telling that. I I love hearing that. And when you recited that note from the universe and used my name, I'm just like smiling. That was that was so cool. (laughs) Whenever I read them and they have your name and you know, whoever's name in them, they just make me so happy and and I love them so much. I'm so so glad that you did them. And it's perfect because a lot of my questions that I wanted to ask you about your work were answered in the way that you told that story but I just want to make sure that I hit all of the Mike Dooley notes like I'm putting quarters in your you know jukebox so all of the people listening get you know all the the wisdom that I love from you so much so I have a couple more things that I want to just like have you quickly flush out if that's cool about your work so one thing, you know, that you've said many times already, which is like your main catchphrase, which I love, is that our thoughts become things and our thoughts create our reality. And yeah. you touched on this briefly, I think, at the beginning, but something that what I learned from you and what I love so much and what has been such a watershed moment for me from your work in particular is that our positive thoughts are 10 or 100 times more powerful than our negative thoughts and we're inclined to succeed and we've you know as you say laughed more than we've cried smiled more than we've frowned all of that which i which i love so much yeah um which is so comforting because i think like you have always said that when you start to take this in as truth and realize that our thoughts become our 
things in our lives, the first thing that I did was get really scared of, oh, no, I'm having these negative thoughts. What's going to happen now? And uh-huh. you totally, you know, comfort us with that. But when that happens for you, and you mentioned it earlier when you were talking about preparing for a speaking gig or feeling nervous or whatever, and it happens for me all the time. You know, I shift out of the flow or I'm in a dark place or, you know, I hopefully now my comeback time is, is quicker because I have tools mm-hmm. or I, I know what I can do. But what do you do or what is some advice for those negative thoughts? How do you shift out of them quickly? And can you talk about why it is that they're not as powerful? Well, um, I, I think the number one thing I do when I feel worried or fearful or imagine, you know, things happening I don't want to happen is uh, I kind of, uh, I kind of like care about myself in a way like, you know, lovingly, like, you know, it's going to be okay, Mike. And more than anything, grounded in truth particularly as I am now this far in the journey, it's like I remind myself I'm not vulnerable. And thinking that something awful is going to happen does not mean that something's awful is going to happen. It's just an irrational fear. So I see it for what it is. And yes, if I thought that thought all day, all night, and prepared for the worst, you know, I would be bringing it to pass and it would become a thing, an event of my life. But I realize also, and this is true for everyone, we're, we're all so much more optimistic than we give ourselves credit for. You know, we all expect that tomorrow's going to come. That's pretty powerful. We all expect that we're going to meet it. Um, we all expect that, you know, we're going to find our way, find our love, make some money, uh, recover from sickness or from pain. You know, and we don't ever acknowledge or even see that positivity. So I remind myself, it's like, Mike, even if you don't see it, you're more positive than you are negative. You're not vulnerable. You're inclined to succeed. You chose this lifetime to totally rock it. And just right now, perhaps journal out some bullet points as to why you will inevitably thrive in this scenario that's now scaring you. And so I'll write down statements as if the whole thing has already come to pass, like I said, and I'll just get into a positive mode. And that is so sufficient to annihilate negativity. I have found, Katie, in my crises in life, you know, maybe a dozen, um, you know, usually there are crises in the moment. In hindsight, you're like, oh, I'm so stupid. That was nothing. It's not even a crisis. I can't even, I don't know why I got so worked up about it. But I would say maybe there's 12 I thought at the time were crises. And maybe in hindsight, two or three or four that were really like, well, that was, you know, I was on the precipice, precipice of doom and disaster. I've always realized that even though I might have worried, Literally, like the first major one, I thought I was going to get fired from my first job after college at Pricewaterhouse. Uh, This is before they merged with Coopers. Um, And I was an auditor. And I worried morning, noon, and night, every moment of the day, that I would get fired. And I wondered, is the pink slip, if you've heard that expression, you know, somebody gives you the pink slip, you've been fired. I wondered if the pink slip was really pink. That's the kind of daydreams I would have. And I would be like, oh, I'm so doomed. I can't stop worrying. But I have found in that crisis and all others that just by sitting down and visualizing or journaling for five minutes would offset, you know, 
18 hours, waking hours of worry and fear. Because the intention behind, I, I am going to think better thoughts or write some better statements here, is so deliberate and so implicit with a belief that if it wasn't there, you're installing it, that you can and will overcome. And it's as if five minutes, even if feebly attempted and fraught with fear themselves, of visualizing or journaling, will outweigh 18 hours, five minutes versus 18 hours of fear. Every single crisis in my life has been averted, even though it seemed futile, it seemed hopeless, it seemed like game over. Even 15 years ago, man, I remember thinking the best of my life is surely behind me because I ended up rocking my career at Price Waterhouse for six years, living in New York City, Boston, the Middle East, which was a great experience, Tampa, Florida, traveling uh, like to oh, dozens of countries in my time off. Um, and then for 10 years, we had this rocking t-shirt business, which was slow going, but brother, mother, and I sold like $10 million, three people, $10 million worth of t-shirts over 10 years, which is not that amazing, but uh, you know, certainly greater fortunes have been made, but that was a lot of money for us. So now I'm 40 and both of those careers are behind me and I have no momentum. I was like, really? How am I going to top that? I really thought the best of my life was behind me. And I thought maybe this is the way it goes. You know, I had an amazing 40 years. Um, you know, who could complain with the, the, the good fortune, so to speak, that I, I had experienced? I remember after, at the same time, uh, a, a breakup, a relationship that was just super devastating. And, you know, there was... You know, it was just kind of nasty and surprises and lies and just, I remember wondering if I would ever be happy again. And I, there's no exaggeration to that. I was losing weight. I think I was going to disappear. I was so sick and nauseous about the turn of events and the surprise and blah, blah, blah. That's how bad I was. And I see people laughing and talking and, you know, out and about in the world. And I'd be just like, oh God, I remember I used to have a life. I remember... It was that bad. But again, this is speaking to your question, you know, how do I change my thoughts? How do you do it? I just did what I could with what I had, which was a little visualization. I created a vision board. I got back on the horse and road, meaning I started sending out these free emails, which was no indication I'd have a career. I started creating a website. I had no idea where that was going. I tried selling products on the internet. They all bombed. I tried to to get hired as a speaker, no one would hire me. Like everything was turning up bad. Well, we call it bad, but it was all the building blocks of the best of my life. My life has gotten so much better the last 15 years than the first 40 years. It's like unbelievable. I traveled 10 times more, only to the most exotic places, in five-star hotels, when I want, where I want, with my wife, with my daughter. I mean, it's like a fairy tale. And the other part of your question was, where do I get 10 that our positive thoughts are 10,000 times, I say, more powerful than our negative thoughts. It's like my life is proof. And I look at every life and I see the proof. Look at our civilization. You know, people are running around for the most part, either fearing an angry, brutal, wicked, short-tempered God. That's 80% of the population. Or 5% maybe is on our page, and then the other 15% uh, 
are atheists because they think that life emerged from rocks. It's like in the height of our ignorance as a people on this planet, we still thrive. We have internet. We're talking on Skype. We've got smartphones. We have space stations. We walked on the moon. We have DNA technology. We have we have a planet with like about 195 countries. You know, it depends on how you define a country. That's why you never hear the same number. But it's about a, say 200 countries. You know, maybe four of them are at war. We live on a planet where there's so much cooperation that uh, that that 99 percent of the earth is peaceful right now but no we watch cnn too much or fox too much and we they just focus on nothing but misery and grief and pain and we think that's happening everywhere hello look around look at the beauty and when you see how successful we have been way more than ten thousand times versus a negative thought you realize that's our inclination not only as a collective but individually and this is where I draw uh, my audiences in, as you so perfectly recounted. I ask them, who here hasn't smiled a million times more than you've frowned, laughed a million times more than you've cried, had clarity a million times more than you've been confused? You know, who hasn't? I mean, everyone has. Who here hasn't been a million times healthier than they've been sick, completely bedridden, bedridden on the brink of death? You know, who hasn't had a lifetime full of friends compared to not a soul on the planet to say hi to? I mean, nobody. And money even. Individually, we all have it. The most elusive commodity, supposedly. So difficult. Um, yet we still have it. We all have it. Um, you know, way more than we're broke or in the red. You know, and now some people might say, I don't have a lot. You always have enough. Now, isn't that a coincidence? Isn't that funny how that works out? You know, everybody gets to define what enough is, and then they go create it. For some people, it's very little. For some people, there's never enough. Um, the evidence in all of our lives screams to the fact that we are so inclined to succeed when you think a positive thought, it's in alignment with your nature. When you think a negative thought, it is so not in alignment. I'm a dummy. I can't do it. I'm too stupid. Wrong. Lies. Silly. Your presence in, on earth evidences your worthiness. In fact, I often say to audiences, you know, nothing you could ever do with the rest of your life. You know, not create a trillion dollars, not create a TV network, not walk on Mars, by your own self-propelled invention, um, none of it would compare to the fact that you're even here now alive. Yeah. I mean, getting here is the miracle. What we do afterwards, ah, who cares? It's on the way home. Yeah, go for it. Try it. Roll boulders down hills. Levitate. Nothing compared to the fact that we're even here. And that's where I get my 10,000 times greater than negative thoughts. And the 10,000 has got to be ridiculously low. Cool. Love that. So another thing that you say often is that we're living in primitive times. And so I would love for you to define that exactly what, what you mean by that. And also, this was sort of in your beautiful story that you just told, you know, of your life and, and how things did a complete, you know, 180 for you. 
But I would love to know just so we really, like I said, a lot of your teachings have been really influential to me and I want to make sure I hit all of those notes in this podcast for everyone listening. And one thing that you talk about is you give this analogy with a GPS and you talk about <laughs> the curse of hows and yeah. how important creative visualization is and you've you've mentioned that but with these primitive times that I'm kind of honestly I'm blending in I'm watching how quickly the time is going so I'm blending in like four questions in one right now but I want you to touch okay. on like primitive times and why creative visualization is so important and you know why not messing with the curse of hows is so crucial to not limiting the universe. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, sure. Excellent. Well, I talk about in my latest book, um, the evolution of consciousness. And again, I admit in all of my books, you know, I know very, very, very little about very, very, very little. But what I do know is enough to live a rocking life and to find peace. And so I know very little about the evolution of consciousness, but I know enough that just as you hear people say old soul, young soul, baby soul, that person's so wise and kind, they must be an old soul. You know, even if it's a child, sometimes they say, I can see an old soul in her eyes. What people are doing, obviously, is equating um, the evolution or the growth of consciousness the same way a physical body grows. You know, we grow from being a baby to a young adult to mature to old. And our experience within the hallowed jungles of time and space um, produces a similar kind of evolution where, you know, if it's our first incarnation, even though time is an illusion, I need a reference point. So I say first, even though they happen all at once. Um, our first, we are kind of, you know, wet behind the ears, don't know the difference between right and wrong, um, generally terrified of everything and you know make really rash judgmental decisions but as we have multiple lifetimes under our belt and this is an interesting thing people will say how can you say that because we live our lives simultaneously well we're living this lifetime katie you and i simultaneously uh, there's a version of me that's you know 85 right now and this version is 55 and the 25 year old version they're all still rocking and you've got an infinite number of versions of katie living right now but yet in spite of that there still is you know, the 20-something Katie. And we can speak about that 20-something Katie, even though there's, there's you know, uh, an older and a younger version happening. And the same is true in speaking of reincarnational cycles and the evolution of consciousness. You know, it seems like we couldn't, but, but we're doing it and it makes sense. And there's points to be learned and lessons to be gained. So, um, basically, a civilization, just like an individual will have a weighted average soul age, baby soul, young soul, mature soul, old soul. And I would venture to guess with my tiny little brain, evidenced by the decisions that world leaders and populations make, is that we are on the kind of cusp of going from young soul as a median age on planet Earth, I'm saying young being you know, 18, 19 years old, to um, early adult, you know, early 20s, where, you know, as an individual, you go through, you know, look at me, rah, rah, I rock, hey, mom, hey, dad, you know, everybody watch me, I'm so cool, I'm running so fast, I'm jumping so high. All of a sudden, as a young adult, you're like, oh, shit, somebody's got to clean up this mess I'm making. So there's Mom and dad are back in, you know, 
my hometown and I'm at school or I'm out on my first job in some big city and man, I'm accountable and I'm responsible. That kind of sucks. And there's resistance. Um, that's exactly where planet Earth is today. Consciously, collectively. Now we have some ancient souls among us and we have some baby souls among us and we have something in between. We don't all incarnate in tandem simultaneous. We all are on our 21st lifetime kind of thing. It's everyone's at a different place and your next life can be in the past and your last life can be in the future or crazy stuff. But um, in that light, you know, we're, we're barely uh, to the adult stage, spiritually speaking, we're still children. And so we cling to dogma, we resist change, we, we, um, we answer to religions, even though they're patently, for the most part, illogical uh, and driven by men who hijacked them millennia ago. Uh, we don't ask questions, we just march in lockstep. Um, that's where we are. Spiritually speaking, sometimes I exaggerate and I say facetiously, you know, we're like cavemen and cave women. We're so naive with regard to the truth of our spiritual nature that we are the eyes and the ears of God come alive in the dream of life. I mean, almost nobody's on that page on planet Earth right now. You, me, and Hay House readers. That's not a majority by any stretch. Um, so that's what I mean when I say primitive times. Yet, we knew what we were getting into. We picked these times. Why? I'm not really sure, except I know there had to be love involved. There had to be adventure involved. And so what other reasons do you need? Who cares if you fly to work on a flying saucer or you ride a brontosaurus, as my last book just said? You know, you're still going to work. You still have friends. You still fall in love and are loved. And, you know, the drama and the adventures unfold. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean when I say primitive speaking. But when people do wake up to the truth, which is what your podcast and your work is about, which my work's about, then we all of a sudden realize, hey, I see where I fit into the equation of reality creation. You know, I am a co-creator. And when it comes to my happiness, my levels of abundance, my fulfillment, I am the soul creator. And people who use co-creator terminology, I'm always a bit afraid that they're giving away too much power. Because when it comes to the weather and plate tectonics, we're co-creators. When it comes to your happiness, my happiness, uh, our individual dreams, we are the sole creator. This is the way we'd want it. You know, We don't want somebody else to decide which dreams of ours come true and which don't. We decide it all. And when you start getting that and you realize that your lineage is of the divine and you start to see the patterns in your life where your thoughts, your dreams, your fears morphed into the places and circumstances and people you'd meet, you're then tipped off onto the power, the ultimate supreme power of your thoughts. And if you can get just a modest handle on your thoughts and steering them in a direction that will serve you, meaning think thoughts of yourself as if you were already the person you've always dreamed you'd one day be. Think of your life as if you were already living the life of your dreams. It's called creative visualization. Every day for four or five minutes, I sit down in a chair before I start working and I imagine congratulations, I imagine hugs, I imagine happy tears, I imagine 
um, different things I'd like to happen in my life happening as if they already happened. Because our thoughts become things, our thoughts create molds, M-O-L-D-S, that the elements of time and space literally rush to fill in the near and distant future. And so think some thoughts. If your thoughts become things and people can see that, it doesn't take much of a leap to realize we would all be well served if doing no, no less than thinking three or four or five minutes a day about a life we'd like to be living as if we were living it. And this is where uh, vision boards come into play. This is where affirmations, declarations come into play. You know, there's all kinds of little things. I talk about them in my books and everybody's got examples and exercises. And ideally, because this has been my work and my career, um, all these years talking about it and, and giving people a foothold, giving them analogies, giving them exercises, my best so far, the most popular, um, is the digital GPS navigation. Um, the way our thoughts become things, if you will, I'm, I'm not speaking energy, I'm just talking about how, how it transpires over time, is exactly the way we arrive at a place we've never been to in our car or on foot when we are GPS navigated. And so the first thing that has to happen in your life when you want transformation, you want to find your travel partner with benefits, you want to have wealth and abundance, you want to have an incredible dream home, you want to have a career that you adore, that's thriving. If you want transformation in those or any other area, step one, just like GPS navigation, is clearly define, nail down the end result. Do not nail down, nor figure out, nor sweat and worry about how you're going to get there. You don't have to know how you're going to get to that new destination when your car is GPS enabled. That's why you have GPS navigation. All you have to do is tell it where you want to go. It knows where you are, just like your higher self or the universe knows where you are. You don't have to say, universe, God, here I am in Orlando, Florida, and I want to have a home in London. It's like, skip the details, dude. Tell me where you want to be. Paint a picture in your mind with words or paint a picture on a mural if you're artistically inclined or paint it with words in a journal. What your life in London, your home in London, your work and career and joys in London will be. And when you create that end result, in that instant, just like when you give GPS your end result, the system knows exactly how to get there. It knows every left and right hand turn, merges, yields, detours, and in life, the universe, your greater self, knows all of your other desires, your other priorities, your other fears, your other whatevers, and it takes all of it into account on the fly. You can even change your mind and it'll change its mind on the fly. There'll be a new how. You on your way to a new best friend's house through your car being navigated, if you pull off the highway to go to Dunkin' Donuts, um, not only will it try to egg you back on with make a legal U-turn, but if you go to Starbucks after Dunkin' Donuts and you're so far off the path, at exactly the right point, it will recalc and tell you a new, shorter, quicker way to go to that best friend's house once you wash down the donuts with Starbucks. And now it's continue forward, make a right, make a right, make a left. Um, so the, the step one that has to happen when anybody wants transformation in their life is create a new picture in your mind, in thought, uh, on a vision board that you speak about. 
Step two, because in your car, you can put down a new destination, but you know, you're still in the garage, you're not there. You have to do one more thing, and obviously, that would be put your car in gear. Because if your car is not in gear, the system is wired to not help you. Because whether you knew it or not, you're contradicting yourself. You can't say, oh, I want to go to Romeo's house. You know, I'm so happy I'm going to Romeo's house. But your car's in park. You will never succeed. You will never arrive at Romeo's house. Because you're telling the system, I want to go to Romeo's. No, I want to stay parked. And even though you didn't know you were contradicting yourself, you're not going to Romeo's because your car is clearly parked, which, you know, whatever, it won't matter if there's a vision board in the backseat, it won't matter if there's a gratitude rock in your pocket, um, you're not going. And in life, the way we put our car in gear is we have to do what we can with what we've got, however seemingly futile, to move in the general direction of where we want to go, where the changes we want to bring about, whether it's career or finances or moving to London or, or losing weight or paying off bills or amassing a fortune, you have to do something about it every day. And most people in life don't put their car in gear, metaphorically, because they don't know how to get there. They don't know how to live in abundance. They don't know what their dream life is. They don't know what city they should move to. And they don't know where Romeo is now. He's lost. Well, so what if you don't know how? Those are the cursed hows anyway that you asked me about, Katie. The hows, just like the directions in your car, are not your responsibility. They're the responsibility of divine intelligence who knows the priorities and dreams and fears of seven billion other people on the planet. And the instant you say, I want a, a beautiful, loving, joyful travel partner who laughs at the same jokes and loves the same books, the universe is like, I know who that guy is, man. He lives in uh, Milan, Italy. His name is Bruno. And the two of you will meet paths, cross paths, this February skiing in Breckenridge. Done deal. <laughs> you don't know that. You don't hear the conversation. As soon as you start saying, and my dream partner will be um, Bob, the head of accounting. Well, Bob has his own agenda. It may be Bob. We're not going to exclude Bob. But as soon as you say, that's how my dream will come true. You are in very thin ice because now it depends on Bob, not just you. And Bob might have a crush on Trixie down in the, you know, the mailroom. So, so if you're messing with hows, whos, timelines, or unimportant details, and all details are unimportant, then you risk total failure. And or... You might wrangle Bob out of the clutches of Trixie and only to have Trixie set your house on fire and you'll get what you wanted, but it won't be what you really wanted. And all of a sudden you're like, I hear people say, oh, I got my thoughts became things. All right. How do I undo that? And it's like the, the workaround is you don't mess with specific hows, specific who's or specific details, which doesn't mean there won't be a how a how will present itself. You just can't say what it is. You just need to drive in the best direction you can to the life of your dreams, to more abundance, to improved health, ask for help, read a book, knock on the door, turn over stones, um, start your own business. I mean, you've got to do stuff. And the stuff you're going to be doing will not seem spiritual at all. You know, cold calling, networking, match.com. Yes, exactly. Once you've programmed the magic with your end results, 
You need to do stuff because the end result is being pressed to you. But you can't meet it through those so-called coincidences, accidents, or serendipities unless you're out in the world. It doesn't matter what you go do. What matters is that you go do something. Hang out at the mall, if nothing else, because the one place the ship of your dreams will never find you is if you're at home waiting for it. Never. But if you go to the mall on your way, you might see a billboard that tells you about a new age trade show or uh, an entrepreneur's conference and you go there and you meet Stan who's really boring but he invites you to the bank's Christmas party where you meet Rocky and mm -hmm. your life's transformed and you're like oh my god if I didn't go here if I didn't do all these seemingly futile piddly things that on their own promise nothing if I didn't do those I never would have met Rocky and my life is taken this is how the magic reaches you you gotta show up in the world after having programmed it with your destinations aka your end results Mike I just want to like stand up and clap right now because I feel like we gave so much value, free uh -huh. podcast, and I feel like I, I feel so good because I, I was honestly, my only anxiety with talking to you was like, oh, there's so many notes I want to hit. I hope we get the thing about the GPS and the thing about the cursed house and all the things. And you really weaved this together so beautifully, which I love. And, and the only thing that I just want to highlight, which you basically said, but you know, choosing from the least shitty options in front of you sometimes just to like move forward I think is really beneficial and something that I learned from you and that you, you had are to do a good student I really am I really am I mean I really take that in because it's true I'm like your number one student here but the point is like one day we'll sit down over coffee or something and I'll just show you all the ways that this has worked in my oh, life because as you were talking, I just kept thinking to myself in the last few, few years, I, w since learning this and applying it, there's been so many times where I could give examples like you have with Trixie and Stan of my real life that have just yeah. been so magical and serendipitous and lovely. So anyway, thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I'm so excited to, as you know, that my book was about journaling. And one of the uh -huh. things I wrote down to ask you was, about writing and about journaling in particular and if you were someone who ever kept journals and you, and you if you thought it was a valuable tool and then knowing about your newest project in your newest book which is so connected to journaling I would love to know you know what your relationship to journaling is and how it's involved in in your new book ah well thank you for that um, my new book is life on earth just came out uh, two weeks ago Congrats. and uh, it is basically my life journaled where I would write a question like, you know, who am I to want to be happy when there's such suffering in the world? And oh, if that's true, the last answer you just gave me, then how can I get more of it? And how can I make change in my life? And are there aliens? And, you know, every major question I've ever had has at one point or another landed in a journal. And I'm an on-again, off-again journaler. I think journaling is so powerful because it creates space. It gives you a, a time to sit down and kind of, you know, it's like a meditative process. Um, yeah. You ask a question, which is how I've done it, and you wait for the answer. And sometimes it comes immediately, and sometimes you feel like you're making it up, and sometimes it doesn't come until six months later. But in the end, my life uh, has been lived through questions. And so I, although I don't have one journal like this book portends, um, I have 
had many. And so this book is as if I had one nonstop 200-page conversation with my higher self where I really feel I channeled um, because of the information that I brought down, if you will, was just not in my conscious repertoire at the time I asked the question. But yet, lo and behold, a day, a week, or a month later, it was. And, and the answers were pretty, pretty stunning about all the things that matter for having traction and a good time in one's life. And so, um, so basically, that's it, and that's how I've journaled. Uh, I state at the end of the book that probably, I don't want to discourage anybody, but probably I journal less now than I ever did before. But because I developed this ability to create space and to ask questions, as we've already talked about um, earlier, significantly through journaling, I, I go through the same exact process that I learned through journaling, but more, um, more contemplative, giving myself deep thought in a long walk or um, on holiday or falling asleep. I, I, I expect answers now. And I learned that from journaling. And, and so there you have it. The subtitle is Understanding Who We Are, How We Got Here, and What May Lie Ahead. Mm, so cool. I, I like what you said about that with, with journaling because I think that too. I think it can really be a good grounding thing to keep us focused. But I'm finding that with myself too. You know, journaling isn't something even I'm doing every single day. It's more when I feel like pregnant with something I need to process and really sit with. But other times it can come, like you were saying, in, in other ways. So I, I liked that a lot. Thanks. Yep. So I want to ask you some questions. I ask everyone my quick fire questions. So some of them are a little bit longer than others. Um, some of them will just be like one or two sentences, but there's a bunch of them. So should we just start running through them? Yeah. Okay, cool. So one thing I want to know from you, you're obviously a fantastic writer from the notes to the universe to all your books. So what are some of your writing routines or writing rituals or any advice for writers? Oh, boy. Um, well, I was writing notes from the universe before I was writing books, and I do have a routine for that. And basically, it models my, my what I tell people to do for creative visualization and GPS navigation. I usually set a timer for one minute before I start writing, and during that one minute, I do a creative visualization where I am hooping and hollering and pumping my fists in the air and waving my palms because I'm so, so happy, happy. I really ramp up that emotional value of joy because I just wrote an awesome note from the universe that made me laugh out loud. I mean, I know what it feels like to think I have written well, and so that's my desired end result every time. I never sit down and think, today I shall write about gratitude. It's like boring. Mm -hmm. I just want I don't care what the heck I write about. As long as it makes me laugh and I want to pump my fist in the sky, that's my goal. So I visualize that and emotionally feel the joy for one minute. I do it with a timer. That's the end result. And then step two, put the car in gear, which means start writing. It's like, well, I don't know what to write. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know what I should write about. Just shut up and write. And I will write the dumbest stuff 
crazy stuff that will invariably be deleted or tweaked and then edited and copied then paste and an hour or two or four later I'll have a note from the universe that makes me go yeehaw <laughs> so that's my writing exercise and then for books for books I almost feel like the, the presence of channeling more clearly with notes from the universe I, I pick at it I write I delete I add I delete I really think it through and I, I think there's room for that in creative writing you, you can be a little logical but in in my books and I'm working on another one right now um, I, I just I just kind of it's hard to put to words but I just push myself into that book uh, I'm feeling like the words I know the intention I have for what I want to convey. Uh, I'm cognizant of the reader and how they may take a line or a word or a paragraph or a chapter. I'm kind of feeling it, feeling it, and just pushing it and pushing it. And usually, typically, you know, in the first moments of a session, uh, it it's, feels a bit forced. But then pretty quickly, it just starts coming out and, and not not at all like I just write and, and it's done. But I can feel like thrusts of energy and thrusts of clarity. Um, and then delete, tweak, splice, put it together, try it again. But I guess what I would like to impart to writers is just having a sense of expectation. I mean, you're writing, this is it. It's going to be good because you're not going to stop until it is. Mm -hmm. And so I, I never kind of flatter myself. I mean, I flatter myself all the time when I think it's really good. I love my writing. But I don't do it prematurely. And I don't, through fatigue or frustration, say, well, that's good enough. That's better than most stuff out there. That's no way, man. If I'm not really happy with it, I never settle for it. And I invariably get really happy for it. And and I, I've developed this ability to expect it and I think expectation is super powerful it's like intention and uh, I just camp out until I get it and I get it I always get it and uh, and anybody else can too is my point and it's just have that clarity and start writing even though you might not know what's going to come next just start writing and know what it is you want to convey I've always felt like you know I have something to say I know some stuff I know um, it can help it's helped me and I know it can help somebody else so I want to get it out yeah that was so helpful I, I love that it makes me want to go right <laughs> <laughs> you're also a great public speaker which we've talked about and you've given talks all over the world I would love to know your do you have any pre-talk rituals that you do or any advice for public speakers um boy oh boy it so did not come natural for me Katie and I spent seven years in Toastmasters. Anybody can Google them, toastmasters.org. It's a safe place to speak in public and not risk your job or humiliation because they're just other people who want to get comfortable speaking in public. In fact, I was, I was already doing my first world tour to subscribers to Notes from the Universe um, probably 13 years ago. And I was only a member of Toastmasters for two years. So I didn't join Toastmasters until I was really good. And then, you know, I had something to say. So simultaneously to learning great skills for speech delivery at Toastmasters, I was just out there doing it because I could write 
a good presentation. I just had the jitters, the shakes uh, in delivering it. But, you know, I was like, oh, my life, I was scared for my life then. I wasn't making money. I had to make money. People were buying tickets to come hear me speak. So as much as I didn't want to go speak, <laughs> I had to make money. So I, I, you know, I put together, I think, a great program that later became a New York Times bestselling book, um, Leveraging the Universe, Engaging Life's Magic. And, um, you know, it was win-win, although at the time I hated every minute of speaking. And now I still have my bouts of fear. But for the most part, when I'm speaking to notes subscribers, which is usually the case, usually 100 or 200 people show up, whether it's Sydney, Australia or London, England or um, New York City. Um, I'm usually not scared even at all. But I already know what I'm going to say. I've said it a million times before, so it's no problem. If I have a new audience, a Hay House audience, and there might be two or three or 5,000 people there, well, then it starts up all over again and I get scared. But you know, I got something to say, and people don't really care if you're nervous. They pity you, but, you know, if it's visible, but, you know, that's not a reason not to do it. Just go do it, is what I would say anybody who wants to write or to speak. You know, just go do it while you create content at the same time. Cool. I love that. Another thing we talk about on this show a lot is body image and having what I call a bad body image day, meaning, you know, basically negative thoughts about your body and shifting out of that as quickly as possible. What are your kind of top off the cuff tips for how to handle days like that or when thoughts like that arise, how to shift as quickly as possible? Just put it in context um, and, and, and the, in the scheme of your life, you know, and it's, it's more of a challenge, no doubt, for a woman where looks are, you know, so coveted. Um, but just put it in context, you know, you've got a mind, you've got gifts, you've got talents, you've got friends that depend on you, people who adore you, you've got parents, you've got children, whatever it may be, you've got a place to go, uh, undoubtedly, in your, in your life every day, whether it's, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, which is the ultimate of jobs, or you're, you know, working at somebody else's company. I mean, that, that's valuable. That's your dance with life. That's where you discover who you really are, what you're good at, what you'd like to be better at. Work is where we meet a parade of new people and friends on a weekly basis. I mean, work is not a four-letter word. It's like, it's our dance with life. And if you really hate it, go change it. Get another job uh, and give and be present and be available. Just put your looks in context that way and also what comes to mind with that question is um, a Vincent van Gogh quote which you may have heard of heard many times before should you ever hear that voice inside that says you cannot paint then by all means paint and it will be silenced and so if you should ever hear that voice inside that says you can't go there you're not good enough you're not pretty enough you're not skinny enough you're not whatever enough then by all means go there and that voice will be silenced so feel the fear and do it anyway and and you know i went through a phase in my life where i was terrified of flying um and this is after i had flown several times literally around the world and suddenly i'm terrified on delta flying over kansas 
um, when flying Catman, Royal Nepalese Airline on a grass runway in Nepal didn't bother me. Delta over Kansas did. And I, I had to get very tough with myself. Um, it's like, look, I'm not going to let my life be hijacked by this utterly irrational fear. And I would, I would want anybody who's beating themselves up over appearance or body image to be as tough with themselves. It's like, get over it. That's bullshit. And you're an awesome human being. And where you are is not who you are. This is, this is not the definition of who you are. If you'd like to lose some weight or gain some weight or change it, well, then set out to change it. But don't put your whole life on hold. Don't let it take you hostage. You're an amazing creature of God, pure God yourself, that you're even here speaks and shrieks of your worthiness of all else that your heart desires and stop blowing something out of proportion mm -hmm. um, and I know that's easier said than done do it anyway yeah I mean th that's what's the alternative yeah what's the alternative forego living right life's too awesome ah so good okay cup these ones are a little bit quicker so what's your favorite color green favorite day of the week Friday. Best thing you've eaten in the last week? Um, hummus. Spicy hummus. Nice. You, like me, love travel. What are some of your favorite places you've been and some place you haven't been that you still want to go? Oh, man. I, I, I probably prefer world third world nations um, or really drastically different cultures. Uh, but one of the most mind-blowing places I've ever been, I went to speak, was Moscow. I was raised in the Cold War, I mean, where there was literally, you know, air raid sirens and nuclear, the threat of nuclear war. And to be walking in, uh, in front of the Kremlin and to be walking in front of that church with all the, it was just, I it couldn't even believe it. And, of course, uh, South Africa, Cape Town is one of the most beautiful favorite places to go to. Bangkok, Thailand, uh, Machu Picchu, Peru. Oh, I love tropical. We're going to Tahiti. I'm taking a group of people to Tahiti, third time there this March, in two and a half months. Um, and place I haven't been that I'd like to go, many. Um, I'd like to go to Morocco. I'd like to go to Burma. I'd like to go to Antarctica, just to say I went there. And give a speech so I can say I spoke on seven, all seven continents. Cool. Uh, the list is endless. Love that. What's your favorite part of your life right now, if you had to pick just one? Oh, I'd have to say today. Um, you probably don't even know this, but um, I married late. I did not get married until I was 50. And uh, I almost three years ago, we had a daughter. And so I have a daughter. And the joy that I feel every day in their company, and it, it's beyond anything I could have ever dreamed was possible. And I can't believe that I didn't have a better clue how great this would be. I mean, how could I have, you know, and I guess you can't know until you, you live it. And no matter how many people tell you it's life-changing and phenomenal, you just can't know for until it happens. And so... My career is in an amazing place now. My relationship with Hay House, I'm so grateful for. 
um, my wife, my daughter, uh, my work, my books, books in the pipeline. Lot, I've got a trip to South Africa in the fall. Sometimes I lose sleep at night because things are so much wonderful stuff happening in my life. Oh, that is so cool. That is the goal. That's amazing. What are some of your morning routines, maybe the first few things you do when you wake up in the morning and how that affects how the rest of your day goes? And then at the end of the day, what are some of your evening routines and the last few things you do before you go to bed to wind down and relax? Um, well, everything's changed having a daughter that still needs to be dressed and taken to the bathroom and things like that. Excuse the potty language. But uh, my routine now is probably the best ever. Get up, shower, go get my daughter up. Um, get her ready for the day. She eats breakfast with me, usually sitting on my lap. We, we share the same uh, oatmeal and blueberries. And then um, I used to never leave the house without visualizing every single day. Now I can't do that because of her. Because I, you know, she, she wants me to be with her. I want to be with her. So the first thing I do when I get to my office, because I have an office in town, is um, make some coffee and sit down for five or ten minutes in front of a vision board, believe it or not. And uh, I just use that to kind of stoke my thoughts and imagination. And I just kind of go into, you know, a scenario of, you know, the life of uh, even wilder dreams coming true. And then I write and manage all day long and I go home and usually I have a beer and a cigar first thing. And then... Um, it's all about my wife and daughter from that point forward. Uh, and I'm on the verge of bringing meditation into my daily routines, but I haven't done that in a conventional way yet, although I've been told that my cigar uh, walks are totally a meditation, and uh, yeah. I know that that's true. Yeah, totally. I think that. So with yeah. the new year coming and here by the time people are listening to this, there's lots of goal setting and vision board making and and that concept is is one that that you bring up and, and you were involved in in the secret and I would love to know a bit about you know what that experience was like for you and you know any advice on goal setting or resolution making and, and vision boarding and okay. any things to like be aware of when doing those yeah well first uh, my my role in the secret was um, a hoot because it just blew up so hugely awesome um, many people think that you know that was my first foray into what I do as a teacher but I was already on my second world tour and Rhonda and Glenda were receiving notes from the universe and they had my audio program on their iPods and that's how I got invited to be in the secret because I was already talking like I've now been talking with you but that really did you know that's how I got to Moscow and all over South America and Africa the first time was because I had a role in the secret so that was really fun really great um, and then advice for the new year you know, I'm not big at all into resolutions. That's usually on the brink of micromanagement, which I shun. I'm into big picture end results. So I would recommend to listeners, you know, state what area, broad brush of your life you'd like to see transformation in. And I know at certain points in my life, it was like every area needs transformation, and that's okay. Uh, the biggest area is happiness, more happiness. That implies everything else is going to have to take off and work. But you can go to abundance, career, relationships, health, and happiness. You can have five. Those, I would say, insist on. 
um, and get excited about the changes that will be coming into your life in those areas by visualizing details, scenarios, even specific people. You can think those things, just don't insist or attach to the specific people or to the details. I mean, you know, if you want travel in the coming year, imagine exotic, wonderful travel. Visualize yourself in Tahiti and in Cancun and in the Himalayas. But, you know, it might not be Tahiti, Cancun, and the Himalayas. It might be Rome, Milan, and uh, Cyprus. And you're going to be just as happy because you didn't insist to details. And that's the most effective, most important thing I can tell people about visualizing that's not being taught that I know of out there. Have big, vague end results that you then emotionally get excited about by visualizing details. Insist on the big picture. Do not insist on the details. You're just visualizing those as possible bells and whistles that will show up in your life. You're thereby leaving room for even better. So there's nothing wrong with visualizing hows, details, and whos. Just don't attach to them, and thereby you leave room for even better. Cool. Love that. What is and be your- gentle with I tell people, be gentle with themselves as wanting to create change. You know, it's like... You're going to be all right. You're going to do fantastic. You're inclined to succeed. Do what you can with what you got, and you'll become unstoppable. Yeah. Oh, so good. What is your biggest advice or lesson about relationships? If you had to sum it up in a sentence. Uh, Number one, let the other person be another person, okay? They're not going to be you, nor are they going to see life through your eyes. And that's probably what attracted you, you to them in the first place. Let that let them be them. Let them be different. That's what we want people to do for us. And then the other thing is, from a life of experience, don't try to force a relationship. Because, you know, I feel almost, you know, almost unqualified to say this. What do I know? I've hardly had many serious relationships. And I feel lucky, even though it's not luck, uh, to be in the relationship I'm in now. But... I came so close to making, you know, major commitments or being kind of drawn into major commitments. And of course, at this stage, it's like, thank God, everything went the way it did. And I didn't force it. And the relationship I have now for eight years has been easy. It's always been easy. And I, and I'm not one to say any, everybody's relationship should be easy, but it's a pretty cool thing when you never go to bed angry when you're never having these fights, I mean, I know what that's like from other relationships. Um, and I would say, you know, hold out. You know, um, too much emphasis is put on finding the one. I don't even believe in soulmates, you know. Soulmates, I, I would say, yes, there is an ideal person at any given point in someone's life. Um, but that can change as one's life evolves. So one lifetime might embrace you know four different soulmates there's no such thing as one person who's de- destined to be with you and thinking that can really ruin every relationship so i would say kind of hold on loosely be super patient don't insist or force things to just you know wait and then when the day comes and you know you'll know you know and that's it which doesn't mean if you have a, an argument with somebody abandon the relationship at all Sometimes those are the ones you learn the most in. But for me, and I can only speak from that perspective, um, it's like I held out. And I was going to be very happy a bachelor. If I died a bachelor without kids or a wife, very happy. Um, And I think when you get happy 
with the way things are, you're most poised for transformation. You know, if you can be happy broke, you're going to come into money. If you can be happy alone, you're going to come into love. Um, not, not that money or love is the ideal, you know, but, but if it's right for you and your higher self knows that, you want to have a, um, you don't want to be unhappy without it. I mean, when you're happy, you attract everything. Uh, friends, flowers, money, um, and and all of a sudden, those things become less important. And what's important is the happiness, the underlying thing, yeah. and seek that out. Cool, I love that. So, second to last thing I want to ask you is something I've been contemplating and really thinking about, and, and kind of struggling with when it comes to creativity and career. What are your thoughts on focus? Something for me. I've been feeling like a bit of a dabbler, like I'm kind of a master of none, doing lots of different things and hoping and and craving more focus in my life. Where do you see focus as it comes? I think you're in a great place as a dabbler. And I know there's schools of thought that run contrary to that. But I look back to where I was at my crises 15, 16 years ago. And um, I so didn't want to overinvest in any one thing for fear that it was the wrong thing. And I wanted yeah. to hold out for the right thing. But what I did dabble with, I did to the absolute best of my ability. Like I, I would spend six hours on one note from the universe that would go to 500 people. Um, but I felt like it, it had legs and it would go somewhere one day. And if I gave a speech to five people at my Toastmasters club for four minutes, I, I might spend two weekends on it. So I think diversification is my answer to you is is awesome because for every new thing you do, you create exponentially more opportunities for divine intervention on your behalf so long as you do have clear end results, you know, a rocking, uh, creatively fulfilling career that takes you around the world. That would be a great end result. You know, that, and tandem to that or as part of that, that, that um, helps, you exactly what I want. <laughs> helps you accumulate wealth and abundance. And there are an infinite number of ways to achieve both wealth and abundance and that long description I had for creative, fulfilling work that takes you around the world. <laughs> so since you don't know what the one is and you are not to insist upon any, then dabble with all of them. And and that's what I did. I dabbled with viral marketing. I dabbled with e-cards. I, you know, and, and a lot of it was, was not fun per se, but it was just the logical thing to do better than doing nothing and waiting for my ship to come in. So I, I learned how to put together websites. This is, you know, way back in the internet yeah. career. So uh, I got a shopping card. I got credit card enabled. I gave speeches for free everywhere. I was writing notes from the universe. I was saving the notes from the universe. I was trying other things. I was asking people for help. I was hanging out with professional speakers at NSA because I knew speakers could get paid a lot of money. So I was going watching them uh, craft and hone their skills at workshops, you know, NSA. National Speakers Association in the United States. I was a self-invited paying guest uh, once a month to the local chapter. I um, I reached out to people on the internet who kind of was doing thought, stuff that I thought I would like to do. Um, you know, and then stuff started to come to me. People started asking me for help. Somebody asked me to do an audio program with them. And that's where Infinite Possibilities came. And he quit the project before we launched. But by then, there was enough momentum 
um, the, it, it was my savior. Um, so you, you can't even know where it's going to come from. But if you're a dabbler, still have a focus on the big picture end results, a rocking life, and then do your best with what you can in each of your dabblings and always be considering how else could I dabble? How else could I take my interest, my creativity to that end result? Maybe I could give classes. Maybe I could write a book. Maybe I could give speeches. Maybe I'll have a video course or a webinar. Maybe I'll meet weekly at the Unity Church. Maybe, um, you know, I, I, th there's an endless number of things. So, But always be asking, how else can I try this? What else can I do? And that'll make sure that if one of the doors you're not knocking on is not it, at least there's room for other doors. And it'll find you. It'll so find you. It looks like it already has found you, Katie. Mm -hmm. But for other listeners, um, it'll find you. You just get out there and do what you can with what you've got from where you are. Oh my gosh, Mike, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for all the work that you create, spending so much time with me. I loved Thank talking you. to you so, so much. Did you have fun? Is there anything that you wish that I would have asked? The name of the show is uh -oh. Let It Out. Anything that you still want to let out that I didn't cover? Oh, no, thanks for asking. I, this is what I most, most love. And so you gave me a great opportunity to do what I most love. I had a great time. Um, we did talk about New Year's goals. So I'll tell people that at, at any point in the year, particularly at New Year's, we have a 30-day to love your love your life in 30 days thing at tut.com and we're about to launch a brand new 30 days live video course it's free at my website tut.com so people might want to go get the notes from the universe there or they might want to try that love your life in 30 days oh uh, sweet. video course it's free starting january 1 but they can cool. self-start at any point in the year cool right on well thank you so much i had a blast i hope you had fun and let's be friends forever and talk again really soon all right, we are, Katie. Thanks, and thanks to all the listeners. Thank Happy you. Happy everything, everybody. All right, that was my conversation with Mike Dooley. If you're still listening at this point, send... What's your favorite emoji? Favorite emoji. Oh, the stars one. The stars one. All right. The people in the audience here have spoken, and the emoji, if you're still listening right now, tweet at me the stars emoji any star emoji actually you could, there's a quite the variety of star emojis that i can think of so send me the star emoji tweet at me instagram it at me tag mike dooley as well i'm sure he would really appreciate that and if you're still listening to these rambles you deserve a star you deserve a gold star in fact thank you for listening as always i hope this episode left you feeling inspired i think it's a good one to have right after the new year and especially this new year we really needed a new year and I feel good about this one so far. I'm into it. So, all right. Hope you liked this episode. Thank you so much again to FreshBooks for sponsoring the podcast. They were like a dream podcast sponsor, you guys. I love FreshBooks. I actually use FreshBooks. I actually think that they're fantastic. But, you know, spoiler alert, none of the sponsors would be people that I didn't find fantastic. But FreshBooks, I really do think is really great. So you should totally check them out. You've got that free trial. They make everything so easy. You can connect your credit card. You can connect your bank account. It automatically imports your expenses. Everything's in one place. It's so easy. You can just send your reports right onto your accountant for tax season and that will make him so happy. Who knows? Maybe you guys will even fall in love because he's so happy with your organization skills. 
Who knows? It's all a possibility. Here's the thing. If you want the free 30-day trial, unrestricted 30-day trial, you go to freshbooks.com slash let it out and enter let it out in the how did you hear about us section. That lets them know that I sent you. So thank you so much for listening. Share this episode with your friend. Like I said, it's an inspiring one. So it could be magical if you shared it with them. It could change their lives. All right. I love you guys. I'll talk to you next week. Send me those stars. Bye.